Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Oh, come on. Guys, after a worship like that, come on. Good morning. Thank you. I was about to say, man, we're about to like get out. I'm going to have y'all stand up. We're going to do some squats. Do some squats. I may rip my pants. It's fine, but it's okay. Um, but hey, it's good to be with you guys this morning. I hope you guys have had a great week. Um, despite the heat, we did get some rain this past week, right? It was this past week that we got some rain for like five minutes, right? Hey, we got to learn how to pray for rain in the sense of like, Lord, pray for, Lord, give us rain for like three days, not five minutes. Um, but hey, we'll take every drop of rain that we can get. Amen. So um, I am excited to be with you guys this morning. I'm also very excited for Victor as he's getting some time with Jody and his daughter, Elisa, up in Dallas. Um, they also went to a Phil Wickham concert, so I hope that also enriched his soul really, uh, really well. Uh, Phil Wickham is an incredible singer, so if you haven't heard of him, check him out. Great worship stuff. So, hey, Thomas, I see you back. Sorry, I, big shout out to Thomas. Just made eye contact. Uh, but anyway, so I'm excited for him. But... Uh, I'm excited for this morning as we continue our series through the book of Colossians. Um, this has been a study, as we've said before, um, that so we just wrapped up a study through the book of Ephesians, where we went through it verse by verse. Uh, we hit pretty much everything that Paul was saying to the church in Ephesus. This series in particular, we're taking it from a 3,000 foot perspective. We're not hitting it verse by verse, but rather we're just doing a quick overview um, but as we go along the way, as we encounter passages that are unique to this letter versus what is similar to the Ephesians, we're going to dive deeper. And that's exactly what we're going to do this morning and also next week. We're going to take these first verses out of chapter 3, verses 1, all the way down through verse 17. And we're going to split them up into two weeks. Um, but this morning we'll be in verses 1 through 4. And I just want us to, I want us, the goal for this morning is for us to stop, look at these verses and to see how they are still very, very applicable for us today and how we are to stop, pause, and recognize who we are in light of who God is, in light of who Jesus is. And so, um, but to kind of pick up where we picked off or where we stopped last week, Victor set the bar very, very high uh, in last week's message. If you guys missed last week's message, I encourage you to go online, go to our YouTube channel, uh, go to our uh, website, the, the sermon is there on the website. Go listen to it. It was absolutely incredible. But he looked at verses, the last few verses of chapter 2, verses uh, 20 through 24 uh, or 23, and really challenged us with this idea of not being disqualified in our relationship with Jesus and in our, in our calling as ambassadors of the gospel. Um, going back to verse Verses 18 and 19, Paul says this. He says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up with reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows in a growth that is from God. That head talking about Jesus. So in other words, Paul is saying, hey, don't let anyone who is outside of this church or outside of the body of Christ, who's trying to implement external things on our faith, don't let them disqualify you from the calling in which God has placed in your life. If you are a believer in this room today, God has placed a calling on your life, and that is to share his good news. Now, how that looks for you is different for every person. 
It could be in your workplace. It could be at school. It could be at the store walking through Walmart. It can be walking down the road. It could be here in the pulpit. If you want, ever want to fill out a call to share a message, by all means, Victor and I would love to share the pulpit with you guys. But the, our calling is the same, but it just may be unique. And Paul is encouraging these people because of what we experience today is what the churches back then were experiencing, experiencing especially in Colossae. There was these guys who were coming in and the gospel wasn't enough for them. The freedom of Christ wasn't enough for them. They had to bring in these extra things to try to make themselves feel more holy or to make themselves feel more worthy of going to heaven or having a relationship with God. It was all about their works or the lack thereof. So this idea of asceticism is this idea of, of abstaining from things, uh, of removing things from your life so that way you can remain holy, which is a good concept. But in, in light of the gospel, we have been set free from all rules and regulations of this world through the gospel of Jesus. He came and fulfilled every aspect of the law and that now in him, which we're gonna dive, I don't wanna jump ahead, but in him, we've been set free. So again, Paul was saying, don't let anyone disqualify you, assisting on these things, which goes back to what he was talking about in verses six through eight, where he says, of, of chapter two, where he says, therefore, as you receive Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He goes on and says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to the human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So again, he's, he's reminding him, watch out for these things. Don't let them take you captive. And the last thing I want us to receive back is what Paul was talking about in chapter one. And this is what he ultimately desires for us. This is what we found in his Thanksgiving and his prayer back in chapter one. He says, so uh, he says, and so from the day we heard, we, now not, uh, we have now stopped or not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritualism and understanding. Check what he says. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's Paul's desire when he is talking to these people. He says, don't let these people take you captive. Don't let these people disqualify you, but rather cling to what you know is true, the good news of the gospel of Jesus, so that way you can walk in a manner worthy of him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus not just to confess and believe in him and then call it good so you have assurance to go to heaven, but rather to live a life man in a manner worthy of the gospel, increasing in your knowledge with him. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus as a Christian. But as we dive into this this morning, with all this in mind, there's a question that I want us to really ponder on as we work through these verses, and it's this, it's, this, it's how do we live a life for Christ as Christians in a culture that's trying to disqualify us? So again, how do we live a life for Christ as Christians in a culture that is trying to disqualify us from our beliefs and from the gospel? Because I don't know if you guys have noticed, it's happening. There's all kinds of pressure around us that are trying to taint the good news of Jesus and what we hope in. 
whether it's challenging our Christian doctrine or challenging the, the interpretations of Scripture or, or uh, questioning the authenticity or the authority of Scripture. Those are huge flags, by the way. If you ever go to a church or if you're ever in a situation where the authority or the, the uh, authenticity of Scripture is challenged, those are flags. The Word of God is, is true. The Word of God is, is uh, inerrant. There's things, God, I want, you to, I want you to say this. When it comes to the Word of God, God spoke divinely, inspirationally through men. Yes, these men were imperfect. And guess what? As tra Bible translators translated the scriptures from different languages, there might've been a few little different things that they misplaced or that they messed up on. But when you look at the greater picture of the translations of what God has done to these men, it has been consistent throughout biblical and church history. There is the, the amount of evidence supporting the, the accuracy of scripture is monumentally big. So if you ever question the authenticity or the authority of scripture, but yet you believe in like things like the Mona Lisa or the Iliad or all these other historical things, just know that the evidence of scripture is way more profound than any of those other things. I challenge you to, to really study into it. But again, these are things that our culture is doing, neglecting the scripture as truth and creating its own truth. However, this is not a new rebellion right? This is exactly what Paul's addressing here in this church. These new believers of Colossae are being infiltrated by these outside men and, and, and religious people who are trying to oppose on the freedom that they have in Christ. So this rebellion that we're experiencing today is not new. It's been consistent throughout church history because we as men, we do what we do best. We take something that is good and beneficial and life-giving and we distort it because we think we know what's best for ourselves. Is that the case? The answer is no, we don't. Ever since the beginning of the fall of man in Adam and Eve in the garden, man has done nothing but try to take a truth that is beneficial and they have distorted it to try to create something that they think is better for themselves, that is not sufficient, but rather there's only one who is sufficient and that is Christ. That is Jesus and his word. So let's jump into these verses together, shall we? Verses one through four of Colossians chapter three. Let's read these together. It says this, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you now asking to go before us. Lord, I pray that your word speaks to our hearts. Lord, there are many people in this room right now who are going through things that are hard, that they feel like they can't overcome. But Lord, your word tells us that you are here for us, that you are all sufficient. That if we put our faith, hope, and trust in you, and we long for you, if we seek you and surrender our desires to you, Father, that you will lead us and guide us. 
you'll bring peace that surpasses all understanding to our hearts and our minds. And Lord, for all of us right now who are facing a time where the culture is, is, is coming against you and your truth, I pray that we will remain faithful to the truth, your word, your scripture, and allow it to lead us and guide us in our daily lives and our daily conversations. But God, please allow your word to speak to us this morning and not me. <laughs> will you prepare our hearts in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, so again, this question of, of how do we as Christians live in a culture that is coming against the truth, that is coming against the gospel, that how we live in a, a culture that's trying to disqualify us from this life that we are living in Christ? Well, there's four things I want us to see in these verses today that, will, that I hope will spur us on to walking in boldness and truth and in faithfulness to the gospel. And the first thing that Paul talks about here that I really want us to look at is the resurrection. So if we're going to fight, if we're going to stand firm and not allow this culture to come against us, we need to understand that our eyes need to be seeking the resurrection always. And why is that? Why do we need to keep our eyes on the resurrection? Because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 17. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope. Without the resurrection, our faith is, is futile. Without the resurrection, there is no life after death. All is hopeless. So when Paul says here in verse uh, one, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, that means that if you are a believer in Jesus, if you confess that Jesus is Lord of your life, you are no longer dead, but you have been raised. Now you guys are like, wait a minute, I'm still on earth. How am I been raised? This isn't talking about physically. This is talking about spiritually. Every single one of us in this room before Christ we're dead spiritually. We were hopeless. And there are still many who are living in this way. As Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 3, where he talks about many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And that their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. And they take pride in that. And they're on a path of destruction. That's who we all once were before Christ intervened and came into our lives, if you're a believer. But as soon as Christ came into your life, we have been made new spiritually. We've been resurrected with him spiritually. Our eyes have been opened to the things unseen. This truth of scripture that was once blurred, that was once veiled over our hearts has now become life for us. We are now positionally in Christ, meaning that we share in his life, that we share in his death, that we ultimately share in his resurrection. That's why we must never take our eyes off of this one doctrinal truth. There, if anybody ever tells you that the resurrection did not happen, they do not believe in the God that I believe in. The resurrection is essential for our faith. And it's the one thing that the culture cannot take away from us as believers in Jesus. As we bear the name of Jesus, as we live our daily life, that is what gives us hope. That's what gives us peace. That's what gives us confident assurance in the fact that we now have eternal life in Christ Jesus. That nothing can come against us and that's through the resurrection. That's why Paul says, after he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. 
Now, obviously, you're, you're with the resurrected Christ. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. He ascended. He's, he's there with the Father. So, yes, it makes sense for us to look up because that's where he is. But, he's, again, he's not talking about just physically. He's talking about spiritually. Seek the things that are above. If you've been resurrected with Christ, that means that you put your faith, your hope, and your trust in him, which means that you believe his very word, all of his commands. And what was his, what was his greatest command for us? There's... Well, there's one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength into what? Love your neighbor as yourself. These two things sum up the entirety of scripture. If you truly love God and you are resurrected with him, then you're gonna live in a manner worthy of him. And everything in which he did on this life, all the miracles, all the, all the truths that which he spoke from his word, they all point to God the Father who is in heaven. So again, we must walk in this resurrected life, must cling to it, not abandon it. For we are, are now in Christ, so we must seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. This is an imperative of Paul that we must seek it both physically and spiritually. So let's go on to the second thing though. So the first thing we see here that Paul's saying that we must keep our eyes on the resurrection, that uh, we must seek the things that are above. The second thing though, which seems like an obvious one is that we must seek the things of heaven. So obviously if Christ is resurrected and he is in heaven, obviously we're gonna seek the things of heaven. But what is this verse talking about when Paul says this? In verse two, when he says, set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things of earth. Again, it's much more than just looking to Jesus who is in heaven, but rather it's looking forward to the things of heaven. It's looking forward to the promises that we have and the life that we have in Christ. See, when we, if, if we continue to keep our eyes on the things of earth, it's gonna disqualify us. I mean, it's as plain and simple as that. And we're gonna fall back. Our minds, our hearts that, were one, that have been transformed in Christ are now gonna be darkened again because the world is full of, of, of false truth that is trying to lead us astray. That's Satan's ultimate goal for our lives. It's funny, I was talking to my niece last night. I wasn't gonna share this, but I'm going to tell. I was talking to my niece last night who was asking me questions about this. She had questions about uh, the resurrection. She had questions about her identity in Christ uh, and, and how to live a life of, ho of holiness in this life. And this is one of the things I was telling her is that Satan his ultimate goal is for every single one of us to be destroyed. There is no ounce of good in Satan. Now, again, I'm not trying to be dramatic for all you guys who are in here like, oh, oh, Josh, easy. But no, Satan is pure evil. There's no ounce of good in him. His ultimate, uh, his ultimate purpose is for us to seek destruction, to, to, to be destroyed. And, for, and so for those of us who are walking in the newness of life in Christ and we're trying to share this good news, what do you think he's gonna do? He's gonna counteract that. And he's gonna use the culture. He's gonna use the people. He's gonna use the technology. He's gonna use everything at his disposal to try to counteract this good news that is changing and transforming the lives of people. So again, if we're not keeping our eyes above the things of heaven, where God is, we could easily slip and fall and backslide 
into what Satan is trying to do in his schemes. And that ultimately does not just hinder us, but it hinders the church. It hinders all of us. Because again, the good news about Jesus is that it's not just about an individual relationship, it is, but at the same time, it's also about the communal relationship of the church. He came to die not only for you, but for all of those who are in Christ, for all of those who are part of this church, for those who put their faith, hope, and trust in him. So we must keep our eyes on the things above so that way we can stand against the things of the flesh and of the things of this earth. That's why Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, of putting on the full armor of God daily, right? So we can uh, extinguish the fiery arrows which Satan throws at us, that he shoots at us. If we don't put on the full armor of God daily, we will be susceptible to his deception. That's why we put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. We take up our sword, which is, which is the word of God. We put on our feet the readiness of the gospel. If you're a Christian in this room today and this sounds like outlandish to you or far-fetched, I challenge you to, to, to assess where you are in your relationship with Jesus. Because as believers in Jesus, these are things that we need to be pursuing daily. And if you're not actively pursuing these things, then do you truly have a genuine relationship with Jesus? Because when you encounter Jesus, he, is, he transforms you from the inside out. And you no longer desire the things of this world, but rather you desire the things of heaven, which is what Paul's talking about. Why we need to seek the things that are above to set our minds on the things in heaven and not on the things of earth. Paul also mentions in Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, he says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And they have been for a long time, okay? That's not me saying, oh, the end time is here. No, that's, the days are evil from the moment sin entered into the world. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what is the will of the Lord? To love him, and to make him known. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. Which leads to the third thing in verse three. So we not only set our minds on the resurrection and set our minds on the things that are in heaven, but rather we set our minds in the newness of life in Christ. We must remind ourselves daily of this new identity that we now have. The old has passed away, the new has come. But in verse three, it says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, when he says you have died, obviously we still have breath in our lungs. So it's not a physical death, right? But rather spiritually, we have died in Christ. Our old self has been put off. The sinfulness, the brokenness, the, the evil that is in us that, that tries to take over has been put to death. Once you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. And as a result of that, guess what happens? You are hidden in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we're hidden from evil, that we're hidden from sin, that we're hidden from everything else in the world. But no, what that means is that our identity is no longer our own. Our identity is now wrapped up in the finished work and resurrection of Jesus. That's why we need to keep our eyes in the newness of life in Christ. 
Because if we continue to fall back to the things of this world, it will destroy us. But when we remain hidden, we remain secure. We have safety in Christ when we choose to daily follow him. Daily follow him. Every day we need to wake up and understand that we need the gospel more today than we did yesterday. Let me, let me rephrase that, or let me restate that. We need the gospel more today than we did yesterday. That's not me saying that we need to rededicate our lives or, re, or have another salvation experience, but what I'm saying is, is that the gospel needs to lead us more today than it did yesterday because the sinfulness in our hearts is still there. Until we are with Christ in heaven in his glory, we are gonna struggle with sin. It's the reality of it. Me as a pastor, I'm still gonna struggle with sin. We're all gonna struggle with sin. But when we are hidden with Christ, when we put on the gospel every day, we are reminded of the salvific work of Christ. We're reminded of his redemption. And this is not just for us, but rather this is for all who are around us. If you choose to put on the gospel daily, do you think that's gonna impact those around you? Yes. It will. But if you refuse to acknowledge who Christ is in your life and the fact that you're hidden with him, it's going to be, it's going to be noticeable. You're going to see a downcast soul. So again, we must remember who we are in Christ. This, and um, it reminds me of verses like Galatians 2.20, right? This is one of my favorite verses of scripture. It says, for I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives within me. For the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer our life when you put your faith, hope, and trust in him. But rather, it's Jesus who's inside you. And John 10, 28 says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I give them life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them from your hand. What a hope we have in Christ. That as soon as you put your faith, hope, and trust in him, nothing can take you out. Nothing can take you away from the Father's hand. We must be reminded of these truths daily. That we are hidden with Christ. Now, and, and as a result of this, we now have life. You see, before you were outside of Christ... It was a dark world. It was hopeless. You may have thought that things were good, but the reality is, is that it was hopeless. But for those of us who experience the newness of life in Christ, that's exactly what we experience. We experience life. And 1 John 5, 12 says this, whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. So again, what a promise this is for us who are in Christ that we now have life because we are hidden. We are no longer our own, but rather we are his and he is faithful and he is just. He is the one that paid the ultimate price for us so that we no longer are walking in our trespasses and sins, but rather we are walking in the newness of life and his glory. The last thing I want us to see here, though, is in verse 4. So he said in verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And he goes on, verse 4 says, When Christ, 
who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So the last thing we need to understand is that we need to set our minds on the future glory that we have in Christ. It's easy to be right here, though, by the way. It's easy to be in the position of, man, I can't wait for the resurrected Christ to come back to take me home in his glory, and it's going to be a glorious day, right? That's a, that's a wonderful thing to, to long for and to seek and to set our minds on. However, I pray that we don't jump the gun because the work on earth isn't finished. There are many people, as we just mentioned, who are walking as enemies of the cross, who are walking against the truth, who are trying to disqualify us, who are trying to disqualify all of us from the truth. And that's not an attack on us. However, that's just, that's just the natural state of man, our rebellious state. So when we see those who are just trying to disqualify us, we don't need to look at them and say, Lord, strike them dead, right? Like the sons of thunder. But rather we need to look at them and say, Lord, have mercy. In the same manner you had mercy on me, have mercy on them so that way they can come to know the saving truth of Jesus. And they can do exactly what we're doing now, setting our hope on the resurrection, setting our hope on the things in heaven, the newness of life in Christ, and then for the future glory. Because the promise is for anyone who's in Christ, we will be resurrected with him in his glory. Nothing can take that away from us. You can just ask all the brothers and sisters in Jesus right now who are suffering for the case of Jesus and those who have already been perished, those who've been martyred for their faith. You can just ask them. It is, when it comes to us walking in a, in a life with Christ, it is a great hope that we, and a, and a great assurance that we will one day rise in his glory. But again, it's also a daunting thing, right? Because it hasn't happened yet. Christ hasn't returned. We're still walking in the flesh. We're still seeing evil all around us. We're still seeing people uh, hating and, and, and mistreating their brothers and sisters. So that's why Paul is saying here, when Christ, who is your life, appeared, then you will also appear with him in glory. He is telling us to take hold, to set our minds on that future glory so that way we will not be discouraged. Because there's a lot of mature believers in this room. And when we think about the future glory, it's an exciting day. However, for a new believer... For someone who's coming to know Jesus, it is a terrifying idea because we still see what's going on around us. And we, and we are still grasping the reality of being hidden in Christ if you're a new believer. So old mature believers in the room, make sure you're walking alongside these new believers. Don't just talk about the future glory and the resurrection and the rapture and all these things as if like this is a glorious day because the reality is it's not going to be a glorious day for a lot of people on this earth. It's going to be a terrifying day. So may we walk and disciple these new believers and those who are coming to know Jesus in a manner that is bringing them and drawing them in to be hidden in Christ. And so that way when they do think of the future glory, they can be excited just as you are. Does that make sense? 
So when Paul, going back to chapter 2, when he says that in verse 18, let no one disqualify you, assisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, being puffed up with reason by sensuous mind and holding, that it's not holding fast to the head or what he was talking about earlier on in chapter 2 when he was saying, um, do not let them hold you captive to the things of this world. May we stand our ground and we set our minds on the things that are above, the things that we just listed. So that way, when these things do come against us, we can stand firm. And we can counteract the schemes of the devil. That's my desire for us. And I I feel like that's Paul's desire for the people of Colossae at this time. Because they were a young church. They needed guidance. So I pray that we will heed these things. I'm going to read one last verse to you guys out of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2, verses 8 through 13, it says this. Make sure I'm on the right page. It says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, talking about the church, those who are in Christ, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. May these words sink into our hearts today. May we truly allow them to, to, to form a, a new perspective as we walk in faithfulness with Christ. And as I said, next week we're going to be looking at the, the next few verses of 5 through 17 and Paul's going to go on and he's going to explain and he's going to lay out for us what this means for us. When we talk about setting our minds on the things that are above, he says that we're going to be abandoning these things and we're going to be welcoming these things. So you're going to be seeing what a, a, a person who does not follow Christ looks like and what a person who follows Christ does look like. And I'm excited for us to walk through those things because it's going to be very, very, very challenging. But as we go into a time of invitation, I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on back up. Um, I'm just going to extend this invite to all of those who are in the room. Um, I mean, again, I know many of you guys in this room, and I know many of you guys are faithful believers in Jesus. However, there's some in this room who probably have never put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. Maybe it's they thought they did, and they and you realize in this morning you never have. Or maybe you're in this room, and you've denied Jesus your entire life, and you think that the gospel is false, and that it doesn't apply to you. But maybe the Lord's working on your heart today and you want to get that fixed. Because this is the good news. That Jesus, the Son of God, came down in the flesh of man. He lived a perfect life. He died the perfect death. And through his death, he was buried and then he was raised again. He was resurrected. And then from there, he resurrected, did 40 days on earth. And from there, ascended back into the heavens with the Father so that he can prepare a way or prepare a place for us for when we die, we can reside with him in glory 
And he did all this because of his great love for you and his great love for me as his creation. As crazy as it sounds, that's who our God is. And I pray you come to know him personally. You guys pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you lead us and the way that you guide us. For the fact that for anyone who's in Christ, we are a new creation and we are hidden in you. And I pray, Father, that we will walk in faithfulness, that we will fight the daily temptations and sins that are ever present before us, that we'll put on the full armor of God. But Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room this morning who does not know you, who has not put their faith up and trust in you, that this morning will be the day that they will do that. But God, just continue to do your work. You are living, you are active, you are working in our community, you are working in this world. Despite all the negativity and the bad things that are going on, you are still ever present. And Father, the good news is, is that you are victorious. That no matter what this world throws at us, we have hopeful assurance in the fact that you have already been victorious. So Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. It's in Jesus' name, amen. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.